There are so many things that, that have been done and so many things that are yet to be done, especially as we prepare for Easter Sunday. And Lord, I just pray you help all of us to clear our minds, forget everything that's gone on, everything that's going on, and help us to be able to focus on your word, that your Holy Spirit would speak to all of us. In your precious name, I pray. Amen. Alright, well we're there in Exodus chapter number 6, and we're continuing through our study in the book of Exodus. And if you remember from last week, things are not going well for Moses and Aaron and the children of Israel. Just real quickly, if you want to go back to Exodus chapter 5, look at verse number 19. The Bible says, And the officers of the children of Israel did see that they were an evil case after it was said, Ye shall not minish aught from your bricks of your daily tax. If you remember, Moses and Aaron came down to Egypt after God sent them there, and they began to preach. First they went to the children of Israel, they got excited, and they said, God's going to deliver us out of Egypt, and they believed them. And then Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh, and they said, Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. And if you remember, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he said, Who is the Lord, and why should I obey His voice? And if you remember, Pharaoh began to say, You know, these people are idle. We don't keep them busy enough, because they're, you know, asking us to go worship. And he said, You know what? Let's make their jobs harder. And he said, we used to provide the straw so that they could make the bricks for their work. Now they need to provide their own straw and make the same amount of bricks that they were making before. And of course they weren't able to do it. They were getting beaten and they were getting, uh, you know, not able to accomplish it. And they turned on Moses and Aaron and uh, they were upset because they said, Man, Moses, since the moment you showed up, our life has gone nothing but worse. And if you look at verse uh, look at verse 22 of Exodus chapter 5. The last two verses of chapter 5 says, And Moses, this is a man of God, one of the greatest men who ever lived, one of the most used of God men who ever lived. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evil entreated this people? Do you see that? He's questioning God. He's saying, God, why are you treating these people like this? But the second question is worse than the first question. In verse 22, he says, Why is it that thou hast sent me? He's saying, God, did you make a mistake? Do you know what's going on? Do you even understand what you're doing? Why did you send me to do uh, this task when you knew that this was going to happen and nothing's going well, things are falling apart? Look at verse 23. This is what Moses said to God. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people. Neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. I want you to understand something. Moses was not doing anything wrong. Moses was doing nothing in his life but following the will of God. He was doing exactly what God had told him to do. And because of it, he found himself in a worse state than he was before he obeyed God's voice. And you know what happened to Moses, one of the greatest men who ever lived? He started to do the same thing you and I started to do. He started to throw himself a real good, real nice Real expensive and real elaborate, you know, just for one pity party. That's what he started to do. He's, he sits there and he says, he, and he's talking to God and he's by himself and he says, Why is it that thou hast sent me? You know, now be honest, you know, you, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hand or anything like that. Don't raise your hand, but, but honestly, I think we've all been to the point in our lives where we just kind of throw ourselves a little pity party. Are you talking, is anybody, you know, don't raise your hand, but you know, and I, don't, don't act like you're, you know, holier than now either, because uh, I've talked to a lot of you, no, I'm, I'm just kidding, but, but we, we all, you know, let me ask you this, have you ever been to the point, point in your life where you've been discouraged? You ever been to the point in your life where you thought to yourself, where you just kind of wanted to throw up your hands and say, I 
really know what, what, what God is doing or why God is doing this or why God is putting me through this. Have you ever been to a point in your life where you're sad? Where you're sad and you make sure everybody else knows it? Or maybe you're mad and you're mad and you make sure everybody else knows it. Or you're whatever, upset, and you make sure... We've all been there. Hey, look, I've been there. Don't ask my wife, but I've been there. And that's what Moses started doing. He's upset and he's sad. He said, I'm not seeing success. I'm following God's will and I'm not seeing success. And he's discouraged. He's upset. And I think it's very interesting because God, in chapter 6, begins to speak to Moses. And in chapter 6 of Exodus, we see God's encouragement to Moses. And God begins to encourage Moses and to to try to bring him out of this depression he's in, this fit he's throwing, this pity party he's throwing. And God is trying to encourage him and and trying to motivate Moses to move on. And I just want you to see very quickly just three points on God's encouragement to Moses. God's encouragement to Moses. He encouraged Moses, number one, I want you to see, because of what... And this is God speaking. It's very interesting. The first part of this chapter is just God speaking to Moses. These are God's words that he actually came out of his mouth. And when God was speaking to Moses, here's what he said. When he tried to encourage Moses, here's what he said. Moses, you ought to continue on. Moses, you ought to be encouraged. Here, point number one, because of what I have done. God says, because of what I have done. Look at verse 4. Notice what it says, verse 4 of chapter 6. God says, and I, this is God speaking, He says, and I, notice the next word, have. If you're not afraid to write your Bible, or you don't mind writing your Bible, circle that word, I, and, you know, the, the phrase there, I have, or, or underline it or something. God said, when, when Moses is focused on himself, God says, Moses, let me tell you something. You ought to continue on in the ministry I've given you. Here's, here's number one. Because I have, notice what he says. He says, I have also established my covenant with them. That word covenant there is like a contract. He said it's a formal binding agreement. And we're not going to take the time to go back into it. We preached through the book of Genesis already. But do you remember in the book of Genesis how God came to Abraham and he made a covenant? We call that the Abrahamic covenant. He made with them. He said, I will bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. And, and God uh, later transferred that same covenant to his son Isaac, and later that same covenant was transferred from Isaac to Jacob, and from Jacob to the rest of the children of Israel there, and we know that by faith now, we as spiritual Israel have had that same covenant transferred to us, but God said to the, he, he said, Moses, here's what you got to understand, here's why you got to be encouraged, because of what I have done specifically, because I have established my covenant. He says, I have established a formal, binding, contractual agreement with you. He says, Moses, I have made a promise and the Bible tells us that you know, the Bible tells us in Titus 1-2 it says, in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. And let me tell you something, you ever find yourself upset and you find yourself maybe angry or throwing yourself just a good old fashioned pity party, let me tell you something, you say how do I get out of this anger or how do I get out of this depression or how do I get out of this mood where I just want to give up, where I just don't even want to try, where I'm just upset with life, let me tell you something, just remember Someone who's saved is better than the best day of someone who's going to spend eternity in hell. 
five or what was it? Six? I'm lost. Five, he tells us that he's remembered his company. And God is trying to explain to Moses, he says, because of what I have done, you ought to be encouraged, Moses. He says, not only have I established my covenant, but he says, I will remember my covenant. I told you to keep your finger there in Psalm uh, uh, 20. Look at Psalm 25 real quick. Psalm 25, just a few pages to the right there. Psalm 25. Look at verse 7. Psalm 25 and verse 7, the Bible says, Remember, look what it says, Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions according to thy mercy. Look what he says, Remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. Do you see that? You know what you can find encouragement in? The fact that God doesn't remember sins in your past, but He does remember you. you I, we don't have to go there, but what am I, you know, I often allude to the story, I think it's one of my favorite uh, stories in, in the Bible, when, when, the, when, the, uh, the, when Jesus Christ was dying on the cross there, and the two, the two men were dying, the two thieves were dying next to Him, and you remember when the thief on the cross said to Him, what did He say? He said, remember me when thou enterest into thy kingdom. Very specific way of asking for salvation. He said, remember me when thou enterest thy kingdom. And what did Jesus Christ say? He said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. You know, you ought to take encouragement in the fact that God remembers you. I don't know if you know this. And let me just teach you some doctrine. God does not hear everybody's prayers. I know everybody has this idea that anybody can pray at any time in God. But let me tell you something. God does not hear everybody's prayer. God hears the prayers of His people. If you're saved tonight, the Bible tells in the book of Hebrews, that you have the ability to come boldly into the throne of grace. That you can literally, as you pray, come in spiritually into God's throne room and beseech God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit. Not everybody has that privilege. I don't really understand. Sometimes I don't, I don't understand how unsaved people make it through this world. You know, sometimes um, we're, we're going through things, we're struggling with things, maybe it's at work, maybe it's your family, whatever it is, and, and you find so much comfort in just praying and asking God to help you. I don't really understand how the, how the world goes through life without having that outlet, without having that confidence. And i got to ask you a question, do you use that? Do you pray to God? Do you, rem- do you remember that God remembers you? He says, take encouragement in that. He says, in my way, God isn't saying that He's going to remember you. He says, I have remembered. He said, I have remembered my covenant. He said, I have heard. He's not saying, I will hear your groan. He said, I already heard it. The Bible tells us in the Gospels there that when we ask God to, you know, feed us or clothe us, that God already knows our needs. See, God knows what you need before you even ask for it. God knows what you need before you know what you need. And he said, and when we come to God in prayer, God says, I've already heard that. I've already established my covenant with you. I've already remembered my covenant with you. He said, you ought to take encouragement in that, Moses. You ought to be encouraged in what, the, what he says, because of what I have done. Not only that, go, go back to Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6, he says, he says Moses, you ought to be encouraged because of what I have done. But number two, he says, Moses, you got to be encouraged because of what I will do. Look at verse number six. He says, wherefore, 
Remember, this is God speaking to Moses. This is God's response to Moses after Moses threw a little pity party for himself. And in verse 6, the Bible says, Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord. And notice what he says, I will. So he said, I have, I have, I have. And then he changes gears and he says, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. He says, I'm, you know, that, that word burden there means, a lo- it's talking about like a load. Talking about a care. Talking about a pressure. God says, not only have I established a covenant that I was going to bring you out. He says, not only have I heard your groanings because you want to come out. Not only have I remembered my covenant because I'm going to bring you out. He says, by the way, it's not just that I have, it's that I will bring you out of the burden. Of the pressure. Of the care. Of the heartache. Of the whatever you're going through. Your cross that you've got to bear. God says, I will bring you out. Go with me real quickly to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Chapter number 10. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. I could just quote it to you, but I, I want you to see it with your own eyes. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. Look at verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 and verse 13. We've got to move quickly. 1 Corinthians 10.13 The Bible says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Let me tell you something. There is nothing you are going through. There is nothing happening in your life that hasn't happened to somebody else before you. Moses, the pressure, you say, well, Moses may say, uh, the, the pressure that I'm going through right now is the only, I, I've only gone through that, or I've only ever felt that. And the Bible says, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Notice what it says. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with, notice what it says, will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Let me tell you something. God filters everything in your life is filtered through God. Do you understand that? You understand that nothing happens in your life without God first knowing about it and God first allowing. You know, it, we're so silly to, to you know we, we allow things to affect us so hard, so much. You know, and, and whatever it is, and whenever we're going through something, this is what I, I often tell people: whatever you're going through, whether it's good or bad, it's not as bad as you think it is, and it's not as good as you think. Whichever extreme you are. When you, when, th- when you think things are really good, we often just think they're better than they really are. And, and whenever you think things are bad, we always in our minds make them worse than they really are. And let me tell you something. The Bible promises you that God, He will allow temptation to come, but according to this verse, He says, I will not allow temptation to come without also making a way of escape that ye may be able to bear. You know what that tells me? God says, no matter what punch you get, it will never be designed to be a knockout punch. Do you understand that? God says, no matter what temptation, no matter what affliction, no matter what trial, no matter what temptation, no matter what storm in life, you know, however hard the devil hits you, or your family hits you, or your kids hit you, or even God hits you, He says, it's not designed to knock you up. He says, there will always be a way of escape, but we allow to knock us out. Because we just kind of decide, ah, I'm done with this. And we lay down. That's a beautiful verse. There's no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. God says, I will bring you out from the burden. 
You think you think there was a, a little bit of burden being enslaved? Can you imagine that? Could you imagine being owned by a human being and just being treated like a dog, being treated like an animal, just having to do whatever they tell you to do? That that I, I could imagine that being a little bit of a burden on your shoulders. I can imagine there being a little bit of pressure there. You know, a little bit of tension. Maybe what we like to call stress. And God says, you know that burden? He said, I'll deliver you from that burden. He says, I will. He didn't even say, I'm going to. I'm going to. He says, I will deliver you from that burden. But not only that, go back to Exodus 6. Look at verse 6. We've got to do this quickly. So, because we've got other things to do. But look at Exodus 6. I want you to see this. Exodus chapter 6. Look at verse 6. He not only says, I will uh, bring you out. Look at verse 6. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. He says, not only will I bring you out from under the burden, look what he says, and I will rid you out of their, look what it says, bondage. He says, I'll, I'll bring you out of the burden. That's the weight. That's the care. That's the pressure. That's the strength. But he says, I not only will bring you out of the burden, he says, I'll bring you out of the bondage. You say, what's the bondage? The slavery. The servitude. Go with me real quick to Galatians. Galatians chapter number 4. Galatians chapter number 4. I, we're going to look at a lot of verses. Galatians chapter 4. Look at verse 3. Galatians chapter 4. Look at verse 3. Let's do it quickly. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. Look at verse 3. The Bible says, Even so, when we were children... Look what it says. When we were children. Now, is a child mature or immature? Children are immature. He's not talking about a physical age here, although that could be applied. He's talking about a spiritual age. He says, when spiritually we were children, he says, even so when we were children, look what it says, we're in bondage, look what it says, under the elements of the world. Think about that. He says, even so when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. You know what that word elements means there? The word elements means conditions, the environment. Oftentimes that word element is used in regards to weather. We're talking about you know, the, the elements of weather. But that word element means the condition or the environment around us. Let me tell you something. The Bible says that immature Christians are in bondage not by their own choice, but by the conditions, by the environment around them. Let me tell you something. When you as a Christian allow the circumstances around you to bring you into bondage, God says you're very immature. He says, in fact, you're a child. Who's ever heard the word content? Remember what the Apostle Paul said? He said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now, who thinks that Paul, the Apostle Paul, was a mature Christian? I think he was a very mature Christian. You know what Paul found out in his life? He found out that I'm not going to allow the circumstances, the environment, the elements of the world. He said the world could be good. My job could be good. My job could be bad. My finances could be good. My finances could be bad. My world could be, you know, just, I could be successful in every area of life. Or it could be falling apart. My children could be good. They could be bad. My family could be good. It could be bad. My marriage could be good. Immature Christians allow our environments to affect our mood. 
to affect to affect our stand, to affect our conviction. See, this is this is what this is what immature Christians do. Well, I don't normally, you know, curse, but when she pushed that button, I just had to tell her off. You know, but you know, you know what you just said? You allowed somebody else to control and bring you into bondage. Because the environment around you, the element, you know, well, when my husband or when my, you know, wife or when my whatever said this to me or did that to me, you know, it just, you know, I just had to cry and I, and I understand that, you know, whatever. But here's what you got to understand. Your environment controlling you tells us that you're very immature. Say, so well, why are you telling us this, Pastor? Because I want you to be mature. We have to get to the place in our lives when we understand that it, the world could be falling apart around us. That's, that's what we love about Moses' parents. The world was falling apart around them. They were told, you have a child and we will kill him. And they said, we'll still have a child. They said, we'll still have a family. We'll still live for God. What were they saying? They were saying, whatsoever said I am, they were to be content. But when you allow yourself to be controlled by the environment... Look at verse number 5 there in Galatians. He says, To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoptions of sons. I want you to remember that phrase and go, go back. go back. Actually, just keep your finger there in Galatians, but go back to Exodus chapter 6. we got to do this quickly. You guys are going way too slow. Exodus chapter number 6. Look at verse number 6. Look what it says. Exodus chapter number 6. Look at verse number 6. Wherefore saith the children of Israel, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will rid you out of their bondage. Look what it says. And I will, look what it says, redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments. The Bible says that God is going to redeem us. That word redeem there means to recover. It means to ransom. It means to purchase. It's like when you go to the store and you put something on layaway. And you say, I'm going to come back. And recover that. I'm going to purchase that. I'm going to redeem it. He said, that's what I'm going to do with you. And he says, Moses, you got to find encouragement in that. See, that's where, go back real quickly. Just keep your finger there in Exodus because we're coming back. That's where verse 6 of Galatians 4 says, And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son in your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Verse 5 says, says to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. The Bible says when God redeemed you, he made you his son. He brought you in his family, and that ought to be very encouraging to you. You know what you, you, know what you should say when they say mean things to you at work or school or wherever? And people are trying to discourage you? You gotta just say, well, I'm a child of God. Doesn't really matter what you think. But it doesn't. It, it doesn't. Well, I think you're weird. And I think you're peculiar. You know, just um, yeah, the word is peculiar. That's the Bible word. Peculiar. Say, well, why, why do you act like that? Or why do you do that? Why do you wear those skirts? And why, why, why do you guys do that weird thing where they knock on doors and invite people? Is it, what, what are you, a cult? You say, no, 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 I'm a child of God. Say, I've been redeemed. And that's the problem. You say, that's the encouragement. The encouragement is that He redeemed us. And when He redeemed you, He purchased you and you became His son. Isn't it sad, though, that God's children allow the world to discourage us? See, Moses, God, why did you even bring me here? And God said, don't you understand that I'm God? Well, let's get to that. Go back to Exodus 6. Look at verse 7. We've got to hurry up. I'm going to have to skip a lot of these points. But look at verse 7. 
He says, I have, I have, I have. He says, I will, I will, I will. And in verse 7, he says, and look what he says, I will, look what he says, take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. You know why you ought to be encouraged? You ought to be encouraged because of the fact that God has made us a people. You don't have to turn there, you can turn there if you want, but go to 1 Peter Chapter number 2, if you, if you can get there quickly, do it. If not, I'm just going to read it for you. First Peter chapter number 2, look at verse number 9. Is anybody warm? Warm? I'm warm. Anybody else warm? Brother Vincent, do you mind turning on the air conditioner? Thank you. First Peter chapter number 2, look at verse 9. The Bible says, First Peter 2, 9, it says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Look at verse 10, though. Very interesting. Which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. You know what's so great about church? You know why you need to be in church and you need to be a part of a congregation like this? Here's why. Because God... You know what God usually does in churches? He brings a whole lot of people that aren't the people. I love it because God brings the outcasts. God brings those who, who don't fit in anywhere. Who, who, who say, you know, I, I don't really fit in with my family. Or I don't really fit in with my friends. Or, or since I got saved, I don't really uh, fit in with the world anymore. And, and, and people who maybe are in a little bit of need. Or a little bit of uh, uh, sadness. A little bit depressed. And God says, I'm going to bring all these people who don't belong anywhere. Now look, we understand that the, uh, the, the doctrinal value of that verse is the fact that He made Gentiles the children of God. We understand that. But in a very practical sense, God takes those who don't have a He says, I give them an identity. He says, I'm going to take these slaves and the children of Israel. And he says, I will be to them a God. And I will be uh, to, uh, you know, they will be my people. You're there, if you're there in First Peter, go to Hebrews real quickly. Hebrews. Go, go past, back in your New Testament, past First and Second Peter, past the book of James. And go to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, look at this verse. Hebrews 11.16, very interesting verse, I think it's a very interesting verse. Hebrews 11.16 says, But now they desire a better country, that is, in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed, look what it says, to be called their God. You see that? Don't just read that and let it just go past you. It says, Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He hath prepared for them a city. Now, here's what I want you to understand. According to that verse, there are people that God is not ashamed to be called their God. You know what that tells me? On the flip side of that, there are people who God is ashamed to be called their God. You understand that? And God says, there, there's people, He said, I will become their God, but He said, these people are not ashamed of being their God. Now the fact that God has to tell us that there are people He's not ashamed to be called their God, tells us this, there are people who He is their God, but He's ashamed of them. Let me ask you something. Do you shame God? I mean, I, I would hate to, to be the Christian that God's like, oh yeah, that one's mine. You know what I mean? I don't know about you, but I want to be like Job, where God's like, have you considered my servant Job? Have, have you looked at Job? Hey, hey, look, look at Job. You know, and, and then there was this, well, what, what about, what about, uh, what about Brother Roger here? And, and God says, ah, don't worry about that guy. Look at Job, look at Job. <laughs> 
You see what I'm saying? Bible says there are people that God is not ashamed to be called their God. But on the flip side of that, there are people that God is ashamed to be called their God. Keep your, keep your finger there in Hebrews 11. Go, go back to uh, Exodus chapter 6. Look at verse 8. Exodus chapter 6. Look what it says. And I will bring you, he says, I will bring you in unto the land concerning the which I did swear to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So he says, and I will give it you for an heritage. God says, I will, I will, I will. And, he's, and the last thing he says under I will, he says, I, I'm going to give you a heritage. You know what that word heritage means? It means an inheritance. It means a legacy. It means a birthright. You know, I don't know about you, but I would imagine that most of us aren't really looking for much of an inheritance on this earth. I don't really have a rich uncle that's going to die. You know, leave me a lot of money. I think in most cases, I am the rich uncle <laughs> that's going to die and not leave you much money. But you know what the Bible says? God says that no matter, you say, well, I wasn't born into a, a, a nice family. I wasn't born into a successful family. I wasn't born into a, a great family. But he, says, but he says, it doesn't matter what family you're born to because the moment I redeemed you and you became my son, he said, guess what? You have a heritage. You kept your finger there in Hebrews 11. Look at verse 16. Look what it says. But now they desire a better country. That is in heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he hath prepared for them a city. That's your heritage. What is that heritage? The city he's prepared for you in heaven. See how it all comes back in a big circle. Because he says, I have gave you a covenant. I have gave you a promise. I have, I have, I have. I will, I will, I will. He said, why are you so discouraged? So why are you so sad? And Moses, why are you throwing this pity party? He said, let me tell you what, I'm gonna, what I have done for you, let me tell you what I will do for you. He said, I'll give you an inheritance. Go, go back to Exodus chapter 6. Let's try to wrap this up quickly, but I'm not making any promises. But look at Exodus chapter 6. I want you to notice something. I don't know if you know this, but it, God, God's very arrogant. And if there's anybody in this world who has the right to be arrogant, it's God. You create the heavens and the earth with your words, and, and then we'll talk. But, but look, at, look at verse number 2. I want you to notice something. The Bible says, And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, Look what he says, I am the Lord. And, notice what he says, I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob. By the name of God Almighty, but by the name of Jehovah was I not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them, to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore, say unto the children of Israel, look what he says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out, uh, out of their bondage, and I will redeem you, and a stretched out arm, and with great judgments, and I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord, your God, which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you in unto the land concerning the which I did swear to give it to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for an inheritance. I am the Lord. Skip down to verse number 29. 
the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, look what he said, I am the Lord. Multiple times in this, in this passage, God said, I am, I am, I am. Multiple times in this passage, God said, I, I, I. He said, I have, I have, I have. He said, I will, I will, I will, I will. And then he says this, I, he said, here's why you ought to be encouraged, Moses. Not only because of what I have done, and not only because of what I will do. He says, you ought to be encouraged because of, because, he says this, I am. He says, you ought to be encouraged because of what I am. And he says, I am the Lord. He says, I'm the Lord. But here's Moses' problem. Look at verse 30. God just got done telling him all these things. I am, and I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. And look at verse 30. Moses said before the children, Behold, look what Moses says. Here's his problem. Moses uses the same uh, wording as God, but the difference is Moses is not God. And Moses, Moses says, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. And how shall Pharaoh hearken unto? Look where the emphasis is. Me. Now look, verse 29, God said, the Bible says, that the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, this is, what Moses, this is what God said to Moses, I am the Lord, speak thou unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He says, because I, because of who I am, just go do it. And Moses says, but I am of uncircumcised lips. Why would he hearken to me? And God says, he's not going to hearken to you. He's going to hearken to God. He says, he's going to listen to you because of who I am. Because I am the Lord. Let me just explain something to you. You know that, you know, just look at this verse. Go me real quick at James 4.1. We're going to finish here. I promise. James 4.1. Let me just show you this verse. James chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says this, From whence come wars and fightings among you? I'll just wait for you to get there because I want you to see it. James chapter number 4, verse 1. James chapter number 4, verse 1. James chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Now, you and I would answer this question, well, if you knew my husband, or if you knew my wife, or if you knew my children, or if you knew my parents, or if you knew my boss, or if you knew my whatever. But look what the Bible says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? He said, look what he says, come they not hence, look what he says, even of your lust that war in, look what he says, your members. He says, ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war and ye have not, because ye ask not. See, you got to understand something. All your problems in life, I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, but all of our problems in life come from one place, us. You know why? You are the only person you can control. You can't control the elements. You cannot control the circumstances. You can't control what other people are going to do, what other people are going to say, what other people are going to say about you. You know? But you can control this, you. You can control your attitude. Control your emotions. You can control who you are. But here's the thing. Here's how you do it. See, our focus has... you got to understand this, and I wish I, could, I wish I was doing a better job explaining this. Our focus has to be on God. When... Moses was throwing a little pity party for himself and saying, why have you brought me here? God's response was this, I, 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 I. He says, Moses, if you get your eyes off of you and you get them back on me, you'd be encouraged. And let me tell you something. I'm just not trying to hurt anybody's feelings because I know that everybody you know, is on drugs now. 
But all your antidepressants, all your anxiety this and anxiety that, your downers, and then you went a little too down, so you need your uppers, and then you went a little too up, so you need that downer again. And, and all these issues that we have, these depressions, and we're shy, and we're constantly mad, and we're just, you know, whatever. It comes from one place, right here. And it's because of this. Your focus is not on God. Because if your focus was on God, you know what you're saying? You're saying, man, isn't God good? Yeah, things are bad right now, but I've got a promise. I've got a covenant. I've got a heritage. He will deliver me. He will take the burden away. He will take the bondage away if your focus was on God. That's what this week is all about, by the way. You know, it'd be sad for us this week when we're supposed to be thinking about the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ died for us, we have our sights on ourselves. My job, my work, my money, my issues, my problems, my, 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 my. And the Bible says that in all things, He should have the preeminence. Let me, let me solve your depression right now. Give God the, the preeminence in your life. Let me solve all the issues in your life right now. You say, well, can, can you solve all my issues? No, I can't solve your issues. But I can solve this, the fact that your issues aren't going to affect you because you're not affected by the elements around you, by the circumstances around you. You, like Paul, can say, I have learned in whatsoever state I am. Therewith to be content. You say, well, Paul, how do you do that? Because his focus is on the one thing that never changes. I am the Lord. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I don't know if if I can do a good job at explaining the fact that all our problems come from us. And when our focus is on us, we're doomed to fail. But when our focus is on you, then we find encouragement. I pray that these people would not put their focus on their pastor. Their pastor is a man like them that's going to fail. I hope their focus is not on their family. I hope they love their family. But their focus ought to be on God. All our focus ought to be on God. doesn't matter how secure our job is or how secure our friendships are, relationships are. The only thing that's secure in this world is God. And the faster we figure that out, the happier we'll be. We love you, Father, in your precious name I pray. Amen.